Hi, my name's George Longworth. Hello, my name is Katie Gerasimides. And welcome to this episode of Trainee Insights, the podcast about life as a trainee at Ropes & Gray in London. This podcast is for everybody who has an interest in building a successful career at the firm's London office. On today's episode, we are delighted to be joined by Libby Todd, who is a partner in our private equity transactions practice. Libby's practice focuses on advising private equity sponsors and their portfolio companies, special situations funds, sovereign wealth funds, family offices, and major international corporations on cross-border transactions, including public and private M&A and general corporate matters. So let's get into what's coming up on today's episode. We will be speaking to Libby about her background, how she got into law, current trends in the private equity market that Libby is seeing and how they affect her practice, as well as Libby's work on the Ropes and Gray London Women's Forum. So Libby, please could you provide our listeners with a bit of background about you and your story of how you got into law? Sure. Um, so I've been doing this for 17 years now, which is quite a while. Um, and I was quite a precocious child, which Katie, who has worked with me quite a lot, will obviously be very surprised <laughs> to hear that. Um, and I decided when I was seven, I knew no lawyers. I knew nothing about the law. I had no lawyers in my family, nothing like that. And I saw reference to a lawyer on television and decided, right, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and that was it, really. Once I'd made my mind up, then that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a lawyer. I did my training contract at Well Gottschall, which is another US sort of originated firm, which has a really strong office in, in London. And I was really fortunate that Well has a really strong private equity practice with some really amazing clients. Um, and I did a seat in London in private equity and then actually also a seat in New York in private equity with Well. Um, and so... From as soon as I did a private FTC, I knew that was what I wanted to do. Um, and then I stayed at Well for another four and a half years after I qualified. Um, and some people I knew were actually working at Robes at the time. Um, and they called me up and said, we think this would be really interesting. We'd love to work together again. Um, and Robes just seemed an amazing platform for doing private equity work. And that has definitely proven to be the case. And so I've now been here for 11 or so years. That's amazing. That sort of leads us well into our next question. So for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with the concept, do you think you could tell us a little bit about what private equity is and the role that a corporate lawyer takes during a PE buyout? Sure. So a, a private equity fund is, is basically a pool of money, a pool of capital. And a private equity firm, in, in the way we think about them, effectively is a group of individuals who are very experienced in in business, they go out to people and try and raise money on the basis that they will invest that money and make a return for the relevant investors who've, who've given them the capital in the first place. Um, and as their reward for doing that, they will both invest some of their own money alongside it. And so obviously hope to make the same return as the investors, but they also get a management fee and, and additional returns, which is called carry, based on how much return they give back to the investors that gave them the original capital. So we have a funds team who are amazing, and they do a lot of that fundraising and going out on behalf of the PE funds to their investors and raising the capital and deal with all the arrangements relating to that. For me as a private equity transactions lawyer, I then deal with what does that private equity fund, that sponsor, do with the money. So they will have a very large pipeline where they identify businesses that they're interested in. Some of the funds that we work with have particular sector expertise or particular jurisdiction expertise, um, and they will target companies that they think uh, they can own, go into, improve, expand. Um, lots of our clients are really experienced and really successful at expanding in new business lines or in new geographies, so they will look at companies where they think they could go in and use that expertise and both try and grow the business 
and then also ultimately exit the business, i.e. sell their ownership stake, um, and that's how they return their money to the people who gave them the capital in the first place. So for, for me, I'm the transactions lawyer who effectively helps them when they've identified businesses that they want to buy, and I will help them do those transactions to, to buy the companies. And what's really interesting about lots of the clients I work with is they're quite flexible, so lots of them are you know, traditional buyout firms who look to take a controlling stake in a company. Others will do, you know, minority stakes, take privates, which is taking a public company private. Um, they might do convertible instruments. They can do a whole whole range of different things. And so in the European market, the private equity industry is obviously a lot more mature than it was 20 years ago. How have you seen the private equity industry change uh, and how has this affected your, your work as a lawyer? I think there's a few things. One is this sector expertise has become very important, particularly in certain industries. So in life sciences, for example, there are now a number of funds who either are solely life sciences, healthcare focused, or have specific teams that deal with that. And that's obviously a very complex area, full of lots of regulatory issues. There's a lot of looking around corners in terms of what will changes to regulation mean to your business and you know how you price drugs or how you bring a new drug to market, all those sorts of things. Um, and I think the really exciting thing about private equity now is is just how knowledgeable lots of those sector teams are, both in terms of the particular companies that they currently own and are building and are expanding and growing, but also in terms of the industry in general. So I think I think that's been something that's really really exciting and really interesting to see over the the last twenty years. I think the other thing that um, has definitely been the case is is that it's not it's not easy to do a private equity deal and, and make money on them. Our clients are incredibly sophisticated, um, you know, incredibly clever. And I think there was a perception based on when private equity came into being that it really was just a case of financial manipulation, that you bought a company, you leveraged it up, you sold off the real estate, and then you effectively exited and made money. And, you know, and there was no actual change to the underlying business. You just stripped out lots of value from it. I, I generally don't think that is the case it, you know that and there's not a lot of studies that people like the BVCA which is the um, one of the organizational bodies for the British private equity and venture capital industry have done around you know the work particularly in the last 10 years where private equity has owned companies and UK European companies how they've grown those companies how they've increased um, number of employees employed by that company you know where they've expanded into new regions there's no financial manipulation that can be done I think to make an easy return you need to understand the business you know, back to front and actually really improve the operational aspects of that business in order to, to get the returns that you want to make. No, that's great. Um, is there a deal that you can tell us about where there was there was a hugely successful deal or one that was just particularly interesting? Obviously, we appreciate confidentiality here. So even just sort of a high level overview would be would be great. Yeah, it's, it's really hard because there's, there's a lot of deals um, and also lots of them stick out for particular reasons. So some of them, um, it's just because of the underlying company and being particularly interesting as a company or the management team or sellers of that company being particularly in- interesting. Um, there's other deals that stick out because of team reasons, I suppose. So um, I worked on a deal last year acting for a client that I love working with. They're incredibly smart, um, TSG Consumer Partners. They acquired a business called um, Cadogan Tate. And the senior associate on that deal was somebody who actually sat with me when she was a trainee in our team. And so she's been sat in our team for an awful long time. And it was the first deal that she did as a lead senior associate. And she ran the deal back to front and she did an excellent job. So that sort of sticks out for that reason. Um, In terms of the underlying deal, the one that sticks out is probably um, I assisted funds affiliated with BPA EQT. 
sometimes known as Bearing Private Equity, which is its old name. Um, and they bought a corporate services business called Tricor in 2022. And it was a deal where it was done on an extremely short timeline. It was a competitive process. Um, and so we had to move very quickly. And it was one of those deals where it really felt like Ropes was bringing everything it could to bear for the client. And I feel that we did a really good job. We worked on a cross-office, cross-practice basis. Um, we were working hand-in-hand hand with our colleagues in Hong Kong as well as across the United States. Um, and it was one of the it was one of the deals, I guess, post-pandemic that um, I led where it really felt like Ropes was bringing value add to the client. And it was a great result and a great deal. So that one sticks out as well. Given the broader macroeconomic picture at the moment, could you explain a little about public to private deals um, and how you view their role in the current market? Yeah, so this is something that we're seeing across across the world, to be honest, um, including in the UK and Europe. Um, I think w- one of the things that's really interesting in the UK and Europe is that there are a lot of strong public companies, so companies that are publicly traded, listed on the public markets, where compared to the high prices that people are still seeing for private companies, actually look pretty attractive and pretty good value. So we're seeing a lot of our clients spend a lot of time on looking at companies that are currently listed and working out whether they think it makes sense to to make an offer for them, try and take them private. Um, And sometimes that can be for reasons relating to the company. You know, so if you look at a company that's currently publicly listed and actually it could, you know, it could really do with and would benefit from expanding into a particular area or doing a particular um, large capital expenditure project. Um, that's something that they would need an awful lot of money for. And sometimes as a publicly listed company, particularly the way that the markets are at the moment, raising additional capital can be really tough. So actually, if you as a private equity investor can look at that company and think, well, if we earned it, we'd be able to finance that and make that change. You know, it could be completely transformative to the business. And then that's a company that could then, you know, be listed or go and do other things. Um, so sometimes it's because of the company itself and maybe what the public markets aren't allowing it to do that one of our clients could be interested. Sometimes it's just because they see something that is priced attractively compared to an equivalent private company they could buy. And therefore, they think, well, actually, for our investors, is that a deal that we should be doing, looking to take that company private, you know, and and effectively owning that, trying to build it, grow it, um, and then, uh, you know, coming up with an exit somehow, whether that's selling it to somebody else, selling it to a trade buyer, relisting it. The other thing that's interesting about some of the UK listed companies in particular, is that a number of them, whilst they're listed on the UK market, their revenue might actually be a real mix. It might be a completely global business that actually, you know, a lot of its revenue comes in euros, US dollars, other currencies. And so particularly for a US fund, perhaps, that has raised a US, you know, US denominated fund and has a US sort of pile of dollars sat there, um, when they look at a UK business that's priced in UK sterling, at least based on historical trends, UK is still pretty cheap to a US investor compared to how it was at least sort of 15, 20 years ago. Actually, if they're buying a global business that makes global profits and has global revenue, um, but is priced in sterling, and that's something that there is some sort of you know currency arbitrage around, then that, that can make it pretty interesting for them as well. So a lot of our listeners are um, students who are trying to get training contracts. So we thought it'd be nice to hear from you about a memorable story that you have from when you were a trainee. Um, a lot of them I probably couldn't say. <laughs> it's the honest truth. I, uh, I actually spoke yesterday with uh, somebody who I was training with. I was so, so fortunate. I had an amazing group of people that I was trainees with. And um, the vast majority of them I still talk to, I still spend time with. Um, one of them is actually a, another partner at Ropes now. 
uh, Simon's side of it. So it's great. We're three doors away from each other, which after training together 17 years ago yeah. uh, is really amazing. <laughs> the things that I can tell, <laughs> I, I, for me, so I, I said I spent six months in New York um, and that was just an amazing experience. And I would recommend to anybody, particularly when they're a junior lawyer, any chance you get to work overseas or within a client is, is just such a worthwhile experience. Um, I worked in New York for six months um, in the private equity team there. I got to spend Thanksgiving in New York and I actually went to the Thanksgiving parade and I was there with a friend who'd flown over from England to watch it with me. And then we went out for Thanksgiving dinner and all those sorts of things. And we were so excited about the Thanksgiving parade that the, there was actually a family in front of us standing watching it. And I, they treated us as if we were like six years old and they moved out of the way so we could go to the front as like Snoopy was coming past. I mean, we were so overexcited by the whole thing. Um, and then my family came over and spent Christmas with me. Um, it was just an amazing opportunity to get to know both another, another legal system. I did tons of deals. And then also to get to know tons of people at the wild US offices, a number of whom I've kept in touch with and, and still know. The other thing that's quite memorable to me is, is I guess, the end of my training contract. So uh, I took qualification leave, uh, which, I, again, I would highly recommend that anybody does. Um, and I actually went to Ecuador and I spent a large part of the time in the jungle in Ecuador. and was completely off grid in, in the Amazon for about two weeks. Uh, and I got out of the Amazon to discover that Lehman had collapsed and effectively the whole banking system was was going under and, and changing before. Well, it's like a it, different world. It was a completely different world. Be, yeah, everyone else had been watching this happen and I'd been completely oblivious. I was really fortunate because at while they actually ended up working on the Lehman Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And so actually that was something that I did for the first six, nine months. And so I went from, I did qualify into a private equity team thinking I'd be doing private equity deals and sort of was but really I was doing M&A disposals linked to a bankruptcy and actually as a, as a learning experience that was amazing. So how has your role changed since becoming a partner um, and have there been any unexpected aspects to to partner life? I mean that's the dream right that's what everyone <laughs> yeah. that's everybody's goal. This, this is what you're working for yeah <laughs> this is what you want to do George. I don't think there's been anything that's unexpected I think like a lot of roles in law you end up doing the job before you actually have the title um, and it's the same I think as you an associate becomes more senior you end up having to demonstrate to people that you can do it before actually they let you wild um, as it were and so, so I, I feel like I had been operating as a junior partner for at least a couple of years probably before I was made up I was running deals I was building client relationships and all those sorts of things so it didn't feel like a massive change which is is probably a good thing um one of the things that I've really enjoyed is I, particularly as over the last couple of years, I've got far more involved in um, training and development of the broader team. And so I'm one of, in our team, we have two associate development partners and me and one of the other partners were responsible for all the appraisals and training um, and development really of, of the associates that that are with us and, and we take that incredibly seriously and it's it's a really nice thing to do. So on on a from a deal perspective, I don't feel like it has changed that much because I was already sort of running deals to a large extent before I became a partner. Um, I've continued to do that and I've continued to try and build and grow those client relationships and, and that's been amazing because that's what I do this job for. But I guess what I hadn't been doing before was some of the more managerial aspects of being a partner and, and taking that on has been something completely new and therefore a challenge but but also really great. So um, I love being a part of the Ropes and Grey Women's Forum, and I know that you do a lot of work um, with them. So I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about sort of where that's moving and what your role is within that group. Sure. So I am one of the co-chairs in London of, of the Ropes and Grey Women's Forum, and 
it's a really broad organisation. We have three global co-chairs as well, um, who are all amazing lawyers, but also amazing uh, representatives of women and sponsors of women within the firm. Um, our main focus and, and the focus of the Women's Forum has always been an opportunity for women within the firm to network, but also to find ways to business development. And, and you know, as a as a certainly as a deal lawyer, but as as any sort of lawyer in this sort of commercial environment, your focus needs to be on client relationships and building those client relationships and, and building business. And you know, it, we wanted to be a forum that was you know not just a to- talking shop, but also gave people opportunities to develop skills that would help them with those things, um, or help them with with, with business development. So we do a lot, particularly for senior lawyers. Um, within Ropes and within Ropes London, we do a lot of um, events for clients um, and they can be really good fun. <laughs> so, you know, we've been to Ladies' Day at Ascot, we've you know had a dinner, we've been to art galleries, all those sorts of things are, are really nice, but actually just an opportunity to spend time together as a group and to meet clients, to meet each other's clients and to introduce clients to each other. And, and as a business development activity, that that is really great. Um, and so, so a lot of it is client focused. And then the other thing we're focused on is a lot of internal relationships and internal networking. So um, it's really important, I think, as a junior lawyer that you have mentors, but even more important that you have sponsors, people who will, um, you know, really put their neck out to you know, find opportunities for you um, to get to know you, to to think about your interests and to try and play you into opportunities. And, and actually, the only way you find a sponsor and a mentor that's right for you is by getting to know people. So we try and make sure that there's lots of internal events where junior female lawyers can perhaps meet more senior female lawyers who aren't in their team um, and, and get to know what they do and why they do it. Um, and sometimes that can just be about, you know, how do you balance certain things or, um, you know, how do you deal with a situation where, you know, you want you have a male client and you would like to go for dinner with them because that's what you would do with clients normally, but is are they going to think it's weird if you ask them? And, you know, things like that still come up and and I that's just, I think, partly down to the fact that it's still a very male-dominated industry. Um you know, particularly in the, the private equity world. Private equity firms have made great strides in, in more gender diversity, but just because of the pool of people where private equity employees tend to come for, you know, it, it is still relatively male-dominated. And, and just working out how do you balance that, I think sometimes is sometimes can feel difficult or can feel awkward, and, and just helping people do that. You've already offered, I think, in this podcast, a fantastic gamut of, of life advice. But uh, in, in the great podcast tradition, we thought we'd end on a cliche uh, and ask you if there was one thing you could tell yourself before you started as a trainee, what would it be? I, th- I think don't worry to some extent. I, I'm, I can be relatively anxious. I can, I can be a bit of a worrier. Um, the best things that have happened to me in my career have come when I've just leaned into things, given it a go, not been too self-conscious um, and not been anxious about it. And, and even now, I um, this is going to be more life advice for you. Um, I, I would always well, say yeah. that. I, yeah, I would always say that I hated networking. I hated business development. And one, that's just not true. What I didn't like was being in situations where I didn't know people and having to introduce myself to them or try and talk to them. And so what I did, you know, so, so going to, you know, lunch with a client or meeting a client for a coffee um, that I know love it. What I didn't like was going to conferences um, and perhaps feeling that I didn't know anybody there, but I should introduce myself and how do I do that? And I um, was actually taking, I have two children um, and I was taking my oldest boy to his first dance class. He does street dance. And uh, when he was three, I took him to his first street dance class and we stood outside and I sort of 
bent down and said, oh, you know, that little girl, she looks like she's going to your class too. Um, you know, you could go and say hello. Um, you know, to say that your name's Elliot, ask her if she's going to, you know, 930 Street Dance or whatever. And his face was just dropped and he looked completely terrified, clearly didn't want to do it. But he did. And he went off and did it. And then they talked and they played chase for two minutes and then they, they went into dance class. And as I was walking back away from dropping him off, I had that realisation of, you've just asked Elliot to do the one thing that you hate doing and you are always trying to avoid doing. You know, that's ridiculous. And actually, I just sort of, from that moment, I think, I hope, I'm much better at just giving things a go and introducing yourself. And, you know, I think it is to some extent the same as when you're three. People are happy to meet new people. People like to talk to Mm. new people. And the worst that could happen is actually, I don't get on with somebody and I never have to talk to them again. Or I email somebody saying, I think we've got this in common, it'd be great to meet up. And they just don't respond or they say no. And is that going to impact me? No, that's fine. I can can live with that. I can deal with that. Um, And so actually that sort of, don't worry, just give things a go, I think is a, a really good mantra. Well, we highly doubt anyone's not responding to your emails, Libby, (laughs) or not wanting to hang out with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, That's been so insightful. We really hope you enjoyed today's discussion. This podcast will be ongoing and we really want your support. One of the ways you can do that is by following us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. This podcast episode with Libby today will be available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If there's anything in particular you would like us to discuss on the podcast in the future, Please leave us feedback or send us a message on social media. Thank you.